Good morning, everyone. We are uh, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and so we take time during the Advent season to focus on the traditional themes. We will be moving into the book of Genesis starting in January, um, but today we want to focus on the fourth and final theme of Advent, joy. And uh, Welcome. It's great to have everyone here, and my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. On most Sundays, I get to preach, and once in a while, I get to be part of the band here as well, um, but I'm looking to be replaced actually, so if you have gifts, please let us know, we want you to serve. But we're going to look at the theme of joy, the final Advent theme. This is actually a very common word in scripture among the four themes of Advent, uh, so uh, love, peace, hope, and joy. Joy is the second most common in the scriptures. Love, of course, is the most common. Uh, around 750 times in the Bible, you'll find the word love in the English. Next is joy at 433 times, and then peace at 374, and finally hope at 166. Not that the number of times uh, necessitates the importance of it, but you can get a sense of how important joy is. Joy is pretty important. It's throughout the Bible. Joy is is really simply gladness or a sense of well-being and happiness. So in Scripture, it's used in a broad range of, way, of ways. It can span a range of emotions and thoughts and expressions. But always you'll find it with it this element of gladness or encouragement. And so it's throughout Scripture, it's very common. But I would, I would admit uh, for myself, and I, I think submit for you, but often we're not quite sure how to handle joy. We maybe have a good sense of what love is and how we're supposed to do it, though we know we fall short. At least we have a sense of what that looks like. But sometimes I think we struggle to know, like, how does joy work? And how is it supposed to function? How do I know if I'm doing okay in that category? How do I know if it's just emotion or something deeper? And, and so I want to take time to look at the scriptures. Usually we'll camp in one passage when we preach and bring God's Word, but today we're going to do a little bit of a survey through Scripture. And my hope in this is to serve you well in understanding and applying this. And, and a key verse in terms of what I'm after by God's grace is what Nehemiah says, the leader Nehemiah, when Israel had come back from exile and they were restored, he and Ezra, Ezra was the priest, were uh, leading the people and the people were encountering the, the Word of God. They hadn't heard the Word taught, and they had basically, there was a revival going on, and in Nehemiah chapter 8, as they are hearing the word and being convicted of their sins, yet also joyful to hear the word again, Nehemiah says, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now you may have known that verse already, um, and I want to highlight what he says because it's throughout Scripture, this idea of the joy of the Lord, and it as something that's meant to strengthen you. You and I need the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. You and I need the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. So let me just say that up front and and as we go through the Word, I, I trust He'll speak to us in this. But let us realize that we need this. This is not an optional thing. This is not something to ignore. 
We need the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. The Lord wants this to function in your life. In this particular Advent series, I've been focusing a little more on the practicals of these, of these qualities, and that's what we'll do today. So we're going to look at what the Bible says. Let's pray, because we need the Lord to understand and apply these things to our lives. So let's ask Him to do that. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for joy, that there's real joy, there's real gladness, there's real reason for happiness, there's real reason for, for positive emotions in Your Word and in You. And I pray You'd help us today. That you'd teach us about joy, you'd invite us into the joy that you bring, and you'd help us to live in this more effectively and faithfully and fruitfully. Lord, visit us and help me, Lord. I need you so much to, to serve you and serve your precious people. So come and be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to do a bit of a survey. There are three things I want to accomplish in this, in talking about joy. I want to talk about first, joy's fountain. And then Joy's Fuel, and then Joy's Foes. I didn't pick those titles so I could have alliteration. I picked them first and happened to find alliterative words to use. So Joy's Fountain, Joy's Fuel, and Joy's Foes. So before we get into the practicals and the particulars of Joy, we need to stop and recognize Joy's Fountain, Joy's Source. And of course, that source is God Himself. God is a God of joy. He is an eternal an infinite source of joy. He created all things, actually, to maximize joy in the long run. He is a God of joy. He loves joy. And He is a source of joy. And so we can look at Scripture and we'll, we'll see this in relationship to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 1611. David is... Praying this and worship to God. This is also a psalm that's, that is prophesying of the ultimate king, Jesus. It says in verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 teaches us that God in, is a God where in His presence there is fullness of joy. The fullness, the maximum joy at His right hand to be with Him are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is not a somber or dour place. God is not a killjoy. He is the source of true and everlasting and indescribable joy. Holy joys, holy pleasures forever and ever in the presence of God. This comes from God and who He is. Jesus is teaching in Luke 15 and he's speaking about the joy of heaven when a sinner repents, when a sinner returns to the Lord. And he says in verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. But it's interesting to note, who's the joyful one here? Is it the angels? No, it says before the angels. Who's before the angels? God himself. And so when one sinner turns, this is the point, because Jesus right, is going to go on to tell the story of the prodigal son and the prodigal father, speaking of the heavenly father, right? And when there's one sinner who turns, the heaven, our heavenly father rejoices. He's full of joy over that one turning. He's excited. He's glad. Later on, actually previously, in speaking of, of God's uh, desire to rescue his people in the new covenant that would come 
to, to effectively rescue his people. As he speaks about this in Jeremiah, he says the following through Jeremiah, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And then he says this, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in the land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. God rejoices in doing us good in Christ. He rejoices in rescuing us. He rejoices in blessing us and bringing us ultimate good. He is joyful. He is excited about His plans that will come to pass in your life to work good. He's very excited about you. He's very joyful about you. And He's very joyful about His plans and His glory. And there's a profound verse in Zephaniah. You've probably seen this. Speaking of God, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Same word for joy. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult, and that can be rejoice as well. He will exult over you with loud singing. Loud singing. This is speaking of God rejoicing over you and being loud in in that joy. He is joyful about you. He's joyful about you being won back to himself and knowing him. This is his joy in his salvation. This is your father. This is your heavenly father, the source of eternal, infinite joy. Of course, the son as well, one in being with the father. The Son is similarly full of joy. And we see this throughout Scripture. Many verses we could look at. We'll just look at uh, four. And there's one place in Luke where he's rejoicing in the plan of God. He says this, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus rejoices in God's ways and his plans and that he reveals the the wonder of salvation to those who are humble, like little children. That's a good thing. Jesus rejoices in, in his Father. Elsewhere in Matthew 25, he's speaking of the parable of the talents. and It's a parable, but it speaks of the ultimate truths behind it. And when that faithful servant invests the talents and comes back to the master... This is what it said. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus is that master, ultimately. And there's a joy he has in in his plans and in his ways. And when we live in him and for him, we get to enter into his joy. Hebrews 12, you've probably heard this one. Speaking of Jesus speaking to us about looking to Jesus, it says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So just think about that for a moment. The cross... We say the cruel cross, right? The cross is not only a cruel thing physically, but spiritually. Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. He took upon himself the holy justice of God against those sins. God is perfectly good. He hates evil. He hates evil of all degrees, from the smallest to the greatest. He hates it all. He's just, he's good, he's holy, he's loving, but he's just and holy. And Christ in his 
goodness and faithfulness and in concert with the Father and the Holy Spirit voluntarily went to the cross to bear our sins on the cross. The cruelest, most horrible thing that could ever be experienced by anybody multiplied by billions and billions and infinite was experienced by Christ on the cross. And yet, there was a joy before Him that was greater than all that. Because it was for the joy set before Him He endured the cross. For the joy of the results of His redemptive work. For the joy of glorifying His Father. Magnifying the Father's holiness and justice. Magnifying the Father's love. Fulfilling all the work. Winning untold numbers from among humanity, among all peoples. To the Father who is rejoicing over there. Return to Him. For that joy and for the joy of His reward, for the joy of, of the re- reconciliation of the whole universe ultimately, for all that massive joy, He endured the cross, despising the shame. That's the joy that He's entered into now. The joy of the Son. Back to Psalm 16. Again, it's a Messianic Psalm speaking of Jesus. Similar to what I just explained in Hebrews chapter, uh, Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad, this is really Jesus speaking, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus rejoices with his whole being in the prospect of his resurrection. Can you imagine the joy of resurrection morning that Jesus experienced? We read about it and we watch movies on it, but I don't think any of them capture the joy that he must have experienced that morning, being victorious over sin and death, having conquered all things, having experienced his resurrected body. His whole being rejoices. This is the joy of the Son. And of course, there's joy of the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit is an eternal, infinite source of joy. We, we see many glimpses of this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 52, there are new believers in Antioch, Pisidia. They're brand new believers. They probably don't know much at all, but they know enough. They know enough about Christ crucified and risen, the Father's love, and the experience of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. To experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to experience joy as He works in our lives. Deep and true joy. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Not a matter of, of these particular rules and, and your particular scruples. Something much greater. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about these things. This is what the kingdom is about. To be in the kingdom is one to experience righteousness. Christ in you. Your forgiveness. His life creating true righteousness in you. And loving the Father and loving others. Of peace that's deep. We've talked about that. And joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is marked by joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul prays for the Romans later. Chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul says to the Thessalonians, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit brings joy. Galatians 5 teaches us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the fountain of joy available for every one of us. I don't know if you saw the news this week or last week. On December 5th, after 70 years of pursuit, scientists were finally able to produce a fusion reaction that, with a net energy gain. And sorry, you're probably like, you were, I just lost you. Um, nuclear fusion with a relatively clean nuclear uh, reaction. It's the fusion of two hydrogen isotopes together. They form helium. It's what powers the universe. It's what powers every single star. Our sun burns 500 million tons of hydrogen every second. And to be able to recreate fusion is an incredible prospect. If we can get it to work, it'll be a dramatic breakthrough. Just getting a net, net energy gain is a huge advance. It will lead, it could lead to li virtually limitless energy to do whatever you need. In other words, if you've if you're a Back to the Future fan, Mr. Fusion is going to be on the back of your car or on your house, and you'll have all the energy you ever need. But we already do have an eternal, infinite fuel source for joy. We don't have to wait for scientists to discover it. It's been made available to us freely in Christ. It's the joy of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants to Fill you as the fountain and fuel you with true joy. So let's talk about joy's fuel. Joy comes from God. He's the source. He's the fountain of joy. But it's not random. It, it doesn't just happen randomly. It's connected. It's attached to certain grounds, certain reasons, certain, certain truths. And there are many in Scripture. We, we don't have time to go through all of them. But I want to emphasize four important ones, four prominent uh, fuels for joy or biblical reasons for joy. The first one is blessings. Blessings. God builds into actually His people in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy celebrations of God's blessings that are meant to be joyful occasions. There are feasts that they partake in. And part of what they're supposed to do at those feasts actually is bring a sacrifice, offer it, and then enjoy, it with, enjoy the, the food with family and friends and rejoice in God's blessing to them. It's built into their lifestyle. It's built into their culture. So Deuteronomy 16, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the followers, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. The Father wants you to be joyful, wants His people to be joyful in His blessings. He builds it into the culture there. And, and you'll see as you look through the Old Testament and the New as well, there are so many reasons for joy in, in this category of blessing. Proverbs 15, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. This is a, a, a metaphor basically for those that are cheerful. A cheerful person rejoices the heart of others. And good news refreshes the bones. What Proverbs is telling us is that good news from cheerful friends is a reason for joy. 
when a friend brings you an announcement, the birth of a child, a a wedding, a new home, a new job, a a new church plant maybe, a good medical result, the the blessing of retirement, a special event to anticipate, all these are reasons for legitimate joy. We're to rejoice when when we experience this and when others whom we love as well experience these things. Psalm 104, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth fruit from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. God brings blessing in his creation to us for joy. Psalms celebrate reasons to rejoice throughout. Psalm 113, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. God brings the blessing of children. He answers prayers like the prayers of Hannah. The day, that each day that the Lord gives, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because it's from the Lord. And He is in charge. And He is a God who brings blessing. Proverbs 5 speaks about the blessing of marriage. Actually, we're supposed to be, for those who are married, intoxicated in one another's love, enjoying the blessing. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Proverbs 5. Proverbs 23. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who follows a wise son will be glad in him. Children, particularly children that are godly, reason for joy. We spent time in Ecclesiastes a little while back, about a year and a half ago. And one of the lessons of Ecclesiastes is, first, life is hard. Life is uncertain. It feels really futile at times, right? Just like, wow, I thought this good thing was going to happen and it fell apart. And there's many remedies and therapies for this reality in Ecclesiastes. I don't have time to get into it. But one of them is what we're talking about. Blessings. Don't take the blessings God gives you as for granted or, or don't fail to see what Scripture is teaching here. God wants to give you joy in his blessings, because life is hard. So Ecclesiastes says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. One of the ways that we make it through life is enjoying the blessings along the way, even in the midst of disappointments. We're going to talk a little bit briefly about this later. Of course, there's joy in people we see particularly the Apostle Paul rejoicing in in his brothers and sisters. Philippians 2, he asks them, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He loves the Philippians. He wants them to walk in these things because, because it's true, but because it brings him joy. He puts his friendship with them on the line in a sense, saying, hey guys, I love you. Make me joyful by walking in these things. He says to Timothy, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He misses his friends, Timothy. He loves being with Timothy. Philemon, his friend Philemon, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is Paul and rejoicing in people. So we rejoice in blessings. Next reason, God's salvation. Of course, this is the most important reason in Scripture. God has rescued us from peril. He rescues us again and again. Most important rescue is the being rescued from the peril of our sin and alienation from God. And so salvation, being in the state of rescue and and, and spiritual prosperity, is a reason for great joy. We see this throughout Scripture. 
this idea of the joy of the salvation of God. David actually, when he gets involved in very serious sin in his life, he, he actually commits adultery and then murder. It's grievous sin, uh, deserves the death penalty. He knows the, how serious it is. And he, most of all, he is sorry. He is sorry to God for what he's done. And in that prayer, our famous prayer in Psalm 51, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He prays, Lord, I repent, I turn, please forgive me, I've sinned against you. I don't want to be cut off from you. Please restore the joy of my salvation. To live in a safe relationship with God, which is available in Christ and a sure thing, is a reason for joy. And it's promised to us. We're to rejoice in our salvation. Um, in Isaiah 12, speaking of prophetically of the salvation God would bring, it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Zechariah 9.9, promising Jesus, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Our salvation has come to us in Christ, and there's reasons to rejoice. We are forgiven. We are safe. God is with us. God is for us. That's the joy of our salvation. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 Peter says this to many people he hasn't met. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, speaking of Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When we encounter the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive it. We are included in Christ, forgiven for all of our sins, safe in Him. What He began in us, He will complete in us. There is salvation, there is safety, and there is a joy that flows from that. So, Paul can say in Philippians 4.4 4, to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The joy of your salvation is a great reason for joy. But also in Scripture, trials as well. This is the this is the key one here, often for us, when it makes us lose our joy. Scripture has a very different view of trials for the believer. Difficulties, problems in life. And because of Christ, our trials are redeemed and used for good. God uses all things for the good of the believer. And so, Paul and others can say and call us to rejoice in our sufferings. Romans 5, 3-4. Actually, in verses 1 and 2, Paul starts out rejoicing in salvation, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And then says that, says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Strengthens your hope that Jesus will complete this work, that you belong to Jesus, that He's for you, and you're in Him, and He will finish what He started. It produces these things in you. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, and complete lacking in nothing. There's a work that God is after in our trials, and we should actually be joyful for it. 
Paul in Colossians 1 says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, speaking to the Colossians, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Similarly, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What a life-changing truth. Paul said he wants to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. We like that part, right? And then he says, and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. To belong to Jesus in this world is to suffer. But there's a fellowship. There's a, there's a work being done in us and through us that's, that's worthwhile. Worth all the pain that we're going through. Back to Peter. But you rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Trials are a reason for joy in Scripture. Finally, heaven. The very best is yet to come for the believer. The prospect of heaven, rightly understood, is reason for much joy promises of heaven are, are full of pictures of joy. Isaiah 51 and the ransom of, of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that, that part of the joy of heaven is, is the people that are there that he loves. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at His coming, for our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Paul's saying, my joy when Christ returns will be, will be to see you there with Him. And this is the joy and the goal of your pastors, by the way. This is why we labor by God's grace in the way we do. We want to see you there and we want you to be the wealthiest we can make you possibly in your eternal rewards. That's our job by God's grace. And it will be our joy. Lots of scriptures I could talk about of heaven. Take a look at Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, as John looks at heaven, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. These, these are voices. The voices, the, the number, the sound of them is such that it just sounds like a roar. Mighty peals of thunder. It's deep. It's full. He hears a voice that says crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. This is the joy of heaven. When it's all complete and Jesus has returned and, and judgment has gone out and, and He has judged justly and, and rewarded His people and He's reigning in the new creation, there will be joy and singing and it will be so glorious. Revelation 21 pictures this as well. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's the one we're in now, had passed away and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he was sitting on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. The joy of heaven is a great and eternal joy. It is a great reason for us to rejoice even now. Many of you know uh, Tim Shorey. Tim is a fellow pastor uh, in, in Sovereign Grace Churches. Tim spoke here th uh, three times. Big guy, great preacher, sweated a lot. I don't know if you remember him. Um, his family is from the area. Many of you know his wife, Gaylene. Tim is facing the end of his life with terminal cancer. He recently wrote about the prospect of heaven and the joy that awaits him and all those who trust in Christ. He says this, let me suggest that heaven, whether in its current paradise form entered upon death or in its eternal new heavens and new earth entered upon our Lord's return, is far better than everything on earth because it involves at least nine joys. He's going to list ten actually. I have taken the time to reflect on these and I truly hope that you will too. One, a face-to-face -face welcome. Death and the return of Christ and or the return of Christ will include a face-to-face welcome. Welcome by our Lord Jesus Christ who stands by the Father's throne to offer an in-person welcome reception for those who have been faithful to Him. To a total cleansing. When we shall see Him, we shall be like Him, made spotless and holy, sanctified fully in spirit and body, and wholly cleansed from the place where sin, in a place where sin will not be welcome or possible. We will absolutely never have another sinful thought or motive or word or deed or even any craving temptation. Three, a healing moment. Every malady of the body will be forever healed. Then the promise that he heals all our diseases and with his wounds we are healed will be fulfilled. Every doctor's office will be closed. Every ER empty. Every hospital vacant. Four, an enduring romance. As the bride of Christ, the church will be made beautiful and spotless and pure to join the bridegroom and lover of our souls at the marriage supper of the Lamb on our eternal wedding day. Five, a worship celebration. Seeing God our creator and the lion Lamb, his son, is going to provoke song after song after song after song of praise. And given that old sound like thunder, I take it to me and I'll be able to sing full throttled and pain free once again. A family reunion. Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will return with Jesus so that we will be forever with each other, with him forever. Seven, a final con conquest. When I die, I will lay down my weapons at Jesus' feet. For the war over my soul will be over. And I will need them no more. Hell will never threaten me again. Eight, an eternal rest. Those who die in the Lord are blessed, for they rest from their labors. Nine, an endless adventure. Since paradise heaven is described as a country, to see an Eden to enjoy, a homeland to seek, a city to enter, a renewed earth to inhabit, and one might say a safe safari to take, it seems valid to conclude that it's going to be an eternal adventure to be had. Number 10, and final vantage point. It is apparent to me that those in heaven right now have their eye on the earth as they watch God's plan unfold on the earth from the high vantage point of heaven. 
Those witnesses and believers who have gone before us form a crowd in a stadium gathered to watch us run and finish the race of life. Tim says, see what I mean? I could weep for joy right now over any one of these, even though I can, cannot fully imagine all that God has in store. And what will it be like when all these unimaginable joys happen all at once? Do you see what I mean when I say that, that me wanting heaven or death to wait so I can do or see a few more things on earth would be more than a little bit silly? Yes, life here and now truly is Christ by faith and hope. But death is gain because faith and hope give way to sight and sense and touch and taste. Believing in Jesus is wonderful. Being with him is best of all. Come and get us, Lord. Please haste the day we are ready, Tim says. The joy of heaven. Four fuels for your joy. Four things to fuel your joy. Blessings. Salvation. Trials. Heaven. But you may ask, how do I do it? Why don't I experience this? Let me talk briefly about joy's foes in line with the four different fuels. Four reasons why we may not experience joy. First, we fail to enjoy the blessings God grants us in this life. That might be because you have a skewed theology that prevents you from enjoying what God intends for your joy. The, the heresy of Gnosticism has plagued the church from the very beginning. It's the view of creation that the spiritual is the good and the physical is tainted. So ultimate good is a spiritual experience and truth, never a physical one. And it, and it taints what the Bible teaches us about creation. They, the physical and the spiritual go together. God has demonstrated his glory in, in a universe that is spiritual and physical together. They go together, and if you take the physical out, you'll diminish the spiritual. And of course, if you take the spiritual out, you diminish the physical. They go together. They're meant to be experienced together according to God's design, according to God's ways. And so your enjoyment of blessings that are physical and spiritual are necessary for your worship and are necessary for your joy. God intends the enjoyment of His good gifts to be a reason, a fuel for your joy. It's not more spiritual to deny those things. And certainly, I would say it's even evil to call God's blessings somehow tainted. So that often is a reason. Second, it might be that you've simply grown accustomed to the many blessings you have. Entitlement attitude will rob you of deep joy. And so recognizing that because of our unrighteousness and enmity with God, we deserve nothing but just punishment, and yet God pours out blessing on blessing on blessing. He's a God who's generous and gracious and loves to bless us. So let us not be entitled, but ever grateful, even about the smallest things. I have a, a thing that I do on Christmas sometimes, and I'm half kidding, but, but we share stockings the night before, and and, uh, and so stockings are full of all sorts of little things. And when I go through my stocking, I take out, every, I've done this in the past, every little thing like, oh, this is the greatest little candy. And I just take my time. And, and after a while, I go, please, will you finish emptying your stocking? But let's be like that with life. Every single thing to be savored in gratitude and joy. 
Second, we might have problems with enjoying our salvation. We can take this for granted, and we can forget. And, and we need to remember again and again and again. That's a big part of why we live life as a church, to remind each other, to revisit the truths of the gospel. We need to do it daily. We need to remember the reality of our sinfulness left to ourselves and our lostness without Christ. We need to remember that all the time. We need to be ever aware of that. But, but more importantly, we need to recognize that, that God himself has taken on flesh, become a human, lived the righteous life we were supposed to live, and then died for me, died for you. He has paid the penalty for those sins. He loves you. You are forgiven. You are safe. To rehearse that every day and every moment. And every time you're, you're tempted, every time you're discouraged, every time you're not experiencing joy, revisit those truths of your sinfulness and yet your Savior. Return to a, a, the joy of a close walk with Him. For, forsake self-effort, self-righteousness. For, forsake sin. Forsake idolatry and find your joy in, in the crucified and risen and reigning Savior, our eternal God. Rest in His finished work. It is finished. He finished it. You don't have to finish it. You won't finish it. Don't try to finish it. It is finished. Live in that reality. Let that motivate you to live in love and obedience. Share the good news with others. Paul says to Philemon, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Share it. Give it away. Tell others about this good news. Rehearse the wonders of salvation. And you will experience the fuel it's meant to be for joy. Third, in trials. We can let our trials become something that robs us of our joy instead of fueling our joy. It's meant to fuel. We're supposed to count it all joy, right? How does that work? How can we do that? I think we have to understand that there's a long-term thing going on with the Lord here. And there's pain. And the reality is, I, I know it's a, it's a colloquial phrase, but no pain, no gain. The reality is that, that God has gain for you through trial. Christ himself had to suffer. Christ himself had to go through great trial. He had no sin. And yet it was to, to prove his, his, his faith in the Lord and to, to, to complete the work. And so, of course, we should expect that we're going to encounter trials. That God has a good plan to form us into the image of Christ. And we don't like it. I, I saw a, a bit of a reality show. I didn't keep on watching it, but they took about ten different um, people that were self-described snowflakes, basically. People who had, who had a very comfortable life and had everything their way. And they took them, basically, to this adventure camp to teach them, to change their lives. That was the goal. I didn't keep on watching it. But, but the show was just, as, it was very predictable, of course, right? Complaint after complaint after complaint after complaint. And I think sometimes we're like that. We want it to be perfect and smooth, and we don't realize that God has us on the adventure island as snowflakes to form Christ in us. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus. That is the ultimate good, to learn to treasure and depend on Him more than anything. Yes, so this doesn't negate the one about blessings, right? That still goes on. We're to enjoy that. That's still to happen. But we don't live there. We live ultimately in God himself. And we learn through trial to depend on him, to find our strength in him. He's at work in us to form us into Christ. Can you imagine if you went to PT, physical therapy, sorry, if you uh, 
for those of us over 50, it's probably a known word, but, but uh, PT, physical therapy. If you go to physical therapy, the goal there is to rehabilitate you somehow. Now, as you get older, it's just like, if I can get to the place where I can walk without pain, that'll be great. But imagine if you go to PT and, and your physical therapist had you do all those exercises, but the result was gonna be a return to your 18-year-old body. All the energy and vigor and so forth. That'd be wonderful, right? Would you, would you wanna do the PT even? Would you wanna get bent and stretched and do all the pain? If you could have your 18-year-old body back? I would. Um, that's what's going on in God's plan for you. He's forming Christ in you. It's a good thing. You won't regret it. When you get to heaven, you won't regret it. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction. From a man, by the way, sorry I keep on doing this parenthetical thing when I'm doing scripture, but this is from a man who was struck with stones to the point where it killed him, who was, who was whipped, who almost drowned, who just went through so many terrible things. He says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He is forming Christ in you, and he is working in you to, to increase your reward, to increase your glory. There's, there's an aspect in Scripture of, of the glory on that final day won't just be the Lord himself. Of course, that's, that's it beyond imagination. But it will be you in your glorified state and all the things in life that you did in faith to comply with his plan, to be made into the image of Christ, will show there. And you will be glorious. And it will outweigh all the things you went through. Finally, Heaven. It's been said you can be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. I've never met a person like that. I don't think it's true. I think the contrary is much more likely to be too, to be too little heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Two reasons why. First, you can't really get through life without having a hope functioning in your life. Being heavenly minded, setting your hope on that joy. And then second, which is kind of what I already said, Everything you do here is connected to there. You are investing in an eternal retirement full of glory. Full of glory. And all your choices here impact that there. So, in conclusion, joy, biblical joy. The fountain of joy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fuel of joy. Blessings, salvation, trials in heaven, and the foes of joy. As we get ready to transition to communion, just maybe pause. I know it's a lot of content. Maybe there's one thing in here God would want you to focus your attention on. And I pray as a result of understanding joy that you experience it more and you are strengthened in his joy. Let me pray for you, pray for all of us. Lord, we thank you for the joy that you give that is so great and so amazing. And I pray that you would make us a people full of your joy. And we would be strengthened in it, and we could strengthen others as a result. We pray in Christ's name.